Jesus prepared breakfast on the shore of the Sea of Galilee for the disciples, a beach breakfast. They ate together, Jesus served them, but then they had a major conversation. Get your Bibles and let's look at it together. in Jesus' ministry, he met Simon Peter and Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, and then James and John, who were also brothers, and they were all fishermen. They were fishing partners. And Luke chapter 5 tells us that Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd had gathered. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were there washing their fishing nets. And their two boats were docked there, and Jesus got in Simon Peter's boat and said, Peter, push out a little bit. And so they pushed out into the water, and Jesus sat down and began teaching the crowd. When he had finished, Jesus said, Simon, put the boat out here in deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, we worked all night and caught nothing. But if you say to do it, I will do it. And when he did, he caught so many fish that the net began to break. And so he signaled Andrew and James and John to come and help. And they filled those boats with so many fish that they began to sink. Scripture says that amazement seized them. And Peter all of a sudden realized that there was more to this than fish, than an abundance of fish. And Peter fell down at Jesus' feet saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus said, stop being terrified. Stop being terrified. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. Another one of the gospels says that Jesus said to me, said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Well, when we get to John chapter 21, it's about three years later. Peter knew that Christ was Messiah. He was in Jesus' closest circle of friends. He had seen Jesus' miraculous power. He had heard Jesus' teaching and Peter was even bold with Jesus at times, saying things like, Lord, I'm not going to let you go to the cross. Or Lord, even if everybody else betrays you, I will never do that. But he had overestimated himself, hadn't he? To say that Peter was overly confident is to put it mildly. Well, Peter was the leader and the spokesman for the 12, the, the apostles. And every time there's a list of the apostles, the apostles in Scripture. He is always first on the list. He is the one who walked on water to Jesus. He is the one who was bold and forthright enough to grab a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane to try to defend Jesus as he was being arrested by Roman soldiers, and he whacked off the ear of one of those Roman soldiers. Some say that he was aiming for his head and missed. But either way, Jesus just leaned down, picked up the ear, and put it back on. That Peter. 
But then we know the Peter that denied Jesus with curses three times, that he forsook Jesus and fled with the other disciples. He lost his courage. He acted in disobedience. He caved in to fear and cowardice. And when the cock crew, he went out and wept bitterly because he was immediately confronted with his own weakness, his own sin, and he knew the need for repentance. And now here in John chapter 21, turn there with me, if you will, and understand that he has abandoned the Lord's calling on his life. It's post-resurrection. Jesus had already appeared to Simon Peter one-on-one after the resurrection, and he has appeared to the apostles twice in the upper room where they were hiding. And he had sent them word to meet him at a specific mountain, a designated mountain in Galilee. Well, 11 of them were there. Judas was not. Judas is gone by now. And so Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And six of the others said, we're going with you. Us too. Most scholars say that Peter is not saying, I'm just going to run out and see if I can catch a couple of fish. That what it shows in the original language is that Peter is saying, I'm going back to doing what I used to do. So what's he thinking? Peter's still down on himself. He feels like he cannot do the ministry. And so he just basically has said, I quit. I'm going back to fishing. That's what I know how to do. And so when he did, as the leader, others followed him. They followed him in that disobedience. What's on his mind? What could he have been thinking about? Maybe he thought, you know, I bailed out. I denied Christ. I've been a failure. I can't fish for men. I don't know what this is all about. All of this is too much. And and it would just be better if I went back to doing what I know how to do. I will go back to fishing, to being a fisherman. And Peter and those who followed him got in the boat. They fished all night and they caught nothing. How discouraging would that be? Self-doubt, failure. You ever been there where you thought, I can't do anything right. I can't get this done. And you just give up. Well, at daybreak, there was a man on the beach He shouted, did you catch anything? No. So they had to confess that they had done nothing. But then the man said, well, cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll find a catch. So they thought, what? But they did. And when they did, there were so many fish, they could not haul them in. And John said, that's the Lord. How did he know? Because they had been there and done that before. And so when John said, that is the Lord, I think it dawned on Peter as well, and he jumped in the water to get to Jesus as fast as he could. All the other disciples came in the boats hauling in the fish, and Scripture says they were about 100 yards out, which is about the length of a football field. So they brought the boats, brought the other men, brought the fish, and came to shore. 
Scripture tells us that when they got to land, they saw a charcoal fire. I find it interesting that Scripture specifically states that. Turn with me, if you will, for a moment to John chapter 18. John chapter 18 and verse 18. This is the record of the arrest of Jesus, the night of Jesus' trials and arrests, the night leading into his crucifixion the next morning. And verse 18 of John chapter 18 says, Now the slaves and the officers were standing there, having made a charcoal fire. Having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. Now back to John 21. During this night of Jesus' arrests and trials, the gospel tell us, gospels tell us that it was cold. Peter warmed himself by a fire. And it specifically says here in John, a charcoal fire. What was that? I don't think they had charcoal the way we have charcoal. I think probably the fire had burned down so that there were coals. And so it was at that fire, at the arrest of at, at, at the arrest of Jesus back in John chapter 18 that Peter denied Jesus three times. And it was at that fire that Peter heard the cock crow and remembered that Jesus had said to him, before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. It was at that fire that the Lord turned and looked at him. And apparently it was after that that Peter just went out and wept bitterly. Have you got places in your memory that when you think of a certain place or certain set of circumstances, it reminds you of something? Maybe of something bad that happened? Maybe something that you did? So I'll bet you that Peter has some pretty serious memories of what it was to be by a fire. And so now here Peter and the others walk up on the beach, and Scripture says the first thing they see is a charcoal fire. Same kind of fire, same kind of thing, and it's like, Whoa. And perhaps, maybe the memories just washed over Peter in that moment. Do you suppose that could have happened? Do you suppose that that brought back memories? Do you suppose that Peter's conscience was pricked when he saw that charcoal fire? and Jesus standing there. Well, as these men walked toward Jesus, some might have expected that Jesus would reprimand them, that he would chastise them, that he would point out their, their disobedience and say, why are you here on this water? Why are you not on the mountain where I told you to wait? You know, so their failure, you know, you, you would think that Jesus would just approach them and convict them with their failure. He might have even replaced them. But watch Jesus. Watch Jesus. Instead of meeting them with criticism, correction, he met them with breakfast. He met them with breakfast. Jesus loved these men with an everlasting love, and he was there to have a meal with them. And so he himself is initiating restoration. He's meeting them where they are. 
He knew where to find them, and he is there to restore them because he is eager for them to come back, to come back. So look now in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. He said again to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Many times in the Bible, God changed someone's name because he was calling them to live out a new identity, or he was putting them on a new mission. And so when he gave them a new calling, lots of times he would change their names. Well, back in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, down in verses 41 and 42, when Andrew met Jesus, Andrew, Peter's brother, then Andrew took his brother Simon, now we call him Simon Peter, but Andrew took his brother to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, meaning rock. And Jesus saw in him a potential that nobody else had seen. So even in that moment, Jesus changed his name and he became known as the lead apostle, Simon Peter. But here Jesus calls him Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. Why did Jesus call him by his old name? Because he's acting like his old self. He wanted to go back to being where he was, who he was. Jesus, recognizing that, called him Simon, son of John, not Peter, not the rock. So after breakfast, Jesus initiated conversation. And right there in verse 15, you see Jesus say to him, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, our English Bibles use the word love over and over again. But in the language of Jesus, Jesus and Peter, they're using two different words here for our one word love. The first word is the word agape. Agape love is the word used in scripture for God's love. It is perfect love. It is the highest, noblest love of the will. It is supreme love. It is the greatest kind of devotion. It's not emotion. It's not warm feelings. It's not sentiment. It's choices. God makes choices toward us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 describes the love, and they're all choices of behavior. So it's a choice for the highest good of another person, agape. But then there's another word used here, 
that is phileo, phileo. And this is a warm affection, a brotherly love. It's an I like you a whole lot. And so as wonderful as it is, it is a step down from agape love. It has to do with feelings. It has to do with emotions. Agape love has to do with choices. So this agape, remember, is love in its deepest sense. It's love like God loves. And so here is the conversation. Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agapao me? The verb form of agape. Let's just make it Southern and say, do you agape me? And he says, do you love me at the highest level? Do you agapao me more than these? Well, more than these what? There have been a lot of conversations about that through the years, even books written about it. Some say Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these other disciples here? Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Do you love me more than these fish? Well, maybe. But maybe it is, do you love me? Do you agapao me more than the things that go with your former life? Did you leave your former life for me? Are you prepared to give up your plans? Are you prepared to give up your chosen career? Are you prepared to give up your successes? Do you love me? Do you love me at the highest level? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I can't say that I love you at the highest level. So he, he couldn't say that. He said, I, li I like you a lot. I love you like a brother. I have a brotherly affection for you. And so Jesus said, what? Then tend or feed or shepherd or pasture my lambs. Shepherd my lambs. Pasture my lambs. Then the Lord looked at him a second time and said, Simon, son of John, do you agapao me? And Simon Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Shepherd my sheep. Not just the little ones, not just the lambs, but you get all of the rest of them and you pasture them, you tend them, you take care of them. And then a third time in verse 17, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? He changed the word. Do you phileo me? Do you really, really have strong affection for me? And Peter was grieved. It was painful. We could speculate all kinds of things that he must have been feeling. Maybe the pain and the grief was coming from the fact that he couldn't say that he agaped or agapaoed Jesus, that he knew that he did not love Jesus with the highest love. And he was grieved. See there in verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep.
feed my sheep. No more fishing. Your job is sheep. My sheep. You are not a fisherman. You are a shepherd. A shepherd. Three times, same question. How many times had Jesus, had, had Peter denied Jesus? Three times. So for every denial, Jesus was able to confront him and let him be restored to change it with love for Jesus instead of denying Jesus. And, and I find it fascinating that Jesus says, basically he's saying, whether you agapao me or phileo me, whatever kind of love you have for me, you tend my sheep. I'll take that love. And whatever that love is you have for me, tend my sheep because of the love. So it appears here that the other disciples were watching. It was not a private conversation. And so, you know, I guess they learned a lot from being there. And I probably would have sat there with my mouth closed and my eyes big listening because they all were guilty. They all were guilty of disobedience. They had all left their calling and come with Peter to fish. So one of the lessons here is how did Jesus deal with disobedience? How did Jesus deal with disobedience? Jesus shows us what question to ask in the face of disobedience. You know, in John chapter 14 and verse 21, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We don't have time to go through all of those verses today. But he also said, he who hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is who loveth me and I will love him and he will be loved by my father and we will manifest ourselves to him. So get it right here up front that love and obedience are partners. They're kind of both sides of the same coin. Second uh, Corinthians chapter five and verse 14 tells us that the love we have for the Lord controls us. So the conclusion I can begin to make is if I'm having trouble with obedience or if I'm having trouble being controlled by the things that the Lord wants me to do, then I don't have a discipline problem. I have a love problem. I have a love problem. We follow the things we love. Love is powerful. People sacrifice their lives for ones that they love. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Love is a powerful motivator. Commandment number one, what? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all of your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And their commandments to do what? To love. So love is the driving force beyond, behind obedience. I've always found it convicting in my own heart, knowing this, to sing that great old hymn, Oh, How I Love Jesus. I, I get kind of bent out of shape in my spirit when I think that I am celebrating how much I love Jesus. I phileo him. I have warm feelings toward him. But if he's after agape, ooh, I might not need to be bragging about that. Peter couldn't. 
and he wept because of it. So Peter was restored. He became faithful and he became focused. And when you look at the life of Peter after all of this, after the ascension, who was the guy who preached the big sermon at Pentecost? Peter. Who was the guy that was ultimately martyred, crucified? And he wouldn't let them crucify him like Jesus. They, he made them crucify him upside down. Did he love Jesus? Yep. He did. He did. So I think the lesson here is that Jesus is saying, if you say you love me, let me see your demonstration of my priorities in your life. Show me what you're doing. Let me see it. What about your time? What about your money? What about your energy? Where am I in all of those things? So if you're saying that you love me, my priorities need to be showing up in every aspect of your life. See, Peter couldn't say, Lord, I agapao you. I super love you. I love you with the same love that you love me. I couldn't say that either. And so that's where our hearts need to come before the Lord, and we need to say, Lord, give me that love. Work in me. But what is it that you want me to do with the love I have? Whether it's agapao or phileo, what is it that you want me to do? What he said to Peter was what? Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. Take care of my lambs, feed them, nurture them, pasture them, teach them. So the test of our love for Christ is not emotion. It's not warm feelings. It's not sentimentality. It's not spiritual goosebumps. The test of love for Christ is obedience. Are our priorities His priorities? You know, we can't say, Lord, I love you but I'm having difficulty obeying you in certain areas of my life. Mm -mm. If I'm having difficulty obeying him in certain areas of my life, my problem is my love for him. How do I love him more? I think to focus on him, to focus on what the word tells us about him, to surrender our hearts to him more and more. See, genuine love for God leads to wholehearted obedience. When we're having trouble with obedience, we're having a love problem. And so when we're going to go to the root of the problem, then I have to get before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm having trouble loving you the way I should. That's the root. So what can we say here? Are you a love-lacking, disobedient disciple? Then you know what? Jesus will feed you breakfast. He's not going to beat you up. He's going to feed you. He's going to draw you back to himself. Here's a question. Have you ever been out in a boat when you should have been waiting on a mountain? He will find you where you are. We're going to fail. Peter failed. Everybody failed. We failed. When we do, are we eager to be restored? Jesus waits for that to happen. God bless you.